Hello, and welcome to A Fine Balance, the podcast that explores work-life balance choices, one story at a time. This is a podcast about work, life, and the pursuit of balance, exploring the reasons behind the choices that individuals make when balancing work with everything else in their lives. Understanding how we work and why we prioritise some things over others can help make sense of work-life balance choices. This podcast seeks to showcase the diverse ways that people flex work around life and life around work, to learn from one another and celebrate our differences. I'm your host, Dahlia Wittenberg, creator of the blog, A Fine Balance. In each podcast, I'll be inviting my guests to put a figure on their current work-to-life ratio. Of course, quantifying something this multifaceted isn't a science, but it's a good place to start for getting to the heart of their story. My guest today is Sarah McMull, a self-employed drama teacher and founding owner of a London-based performing arts school, Showstoppers. She is also a wife and mother, married with three children, a keen baker and proud homemaker. Sarah featured on a Fine Balance the blog back in October 2020, when the UK was freshly emerging from the first coronavirus lockdown. With her surgeon husband working long hours in hospital, three children homeschooling and working her jobs remotely, lockdown was no walk in the park for Sarah. But when we met, she was focused as ever on the positives. I learned to slow down, she said, about lockdown living, to be more accepting and identify what makes me content. And being at home was certainly one of those things. Sarah's professional accomplishments are far from modest. Not only has she carved out a successful career for herself, but her drama lessons and stage productions have impacted on countless students who have grown in confidence and felt the magic of being on stage. Yet what stood out when I interviewed Sarah last year was that it is the things that she has accomplished at home that are of most value to her. She carries the mental load of her family and much as it is a burden at times, it is the stuff of her dreams. At the end of my interview with Sarah, she expressed her concern that hers was not an especially remarkable story, but I disagree. The ordinariness of a mother building her career around her family is a story rarely told in of itself. And this blog attracted more attention than most of my posts, so I'm clearly not alone in my thinking. Sarah's charisma is palpable, and in her company you can't help but feed off her enthusiasm and love of life and all things brilliant. You've got to read the blog to find out exactly what I mean by that. Full disclosure here too is that Sarah also happens to be a very dear friend of mine, one I met at the school gates many years ago now, so I know also how much she does for our school community and others, her boundless and positive energy and her generosity. Her generosity in being one of my earliest guinea pigs on my blog was just one example of that. So I'm delighted that again she has generously given up her time to be my guest today. As I wrote in my introduction to her interview write-up on my blog, it's rare to hear a feminist extolling the virtues of homekeeping alongside career drive. Much as she loves keeping the home and the family, Sarah would never give up her career, despite the pangs of guilt that constantly plague her. I love my work, she explains. The minute I get there, I light up because I'm in my zone. But Sarah insists on finding a balance there for herself between her career ambitions and the busy homely vibe that she's worked so hard to create. I never considered any other option than becoming a mummy and running a family home, she says, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Sarah McMull, welcome to A Fine Balance, the podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, Dahlia. Thank you for having me. I'll just take a moment to recover from that lovely introduction. 
Well, I'm really genuinely thrilled to have you on with me again to talk about your story. Um, and and yeah, um, I, would you want to just start by reflecting on what your work to life ratio was when we met back um, in 2020? Yeah, I think I think I started with 50-50 and then said it kind of swings to 60-40 and 60-40 the other way after we spoke for a bit, if I remember rightly. Am I correct? Yeah, I think you, you described it as a mishmash. Yeah, I think mishmash. at one point there was like a 48-52. You sort of like, you know, there was a lot of movement there on the dial. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's very much still like that. But it is uh, mishmash is a good word to describe it for sure. <laughs> yeah. And and your situation has changed a lot since I interviewed you last time. Do you want to say very much where he's Yeah. And listening now. to you speaking then, it was taking me back to October 2020 at my kitchen table distance yeah. you know um, <laughs> like so different to now well yeah so what's happened is obviously I'm, I've always been self-employed as we talked about last time and the balance would always change if it's a busy time in my career or if it's a quieter time um, but during just I think it may have been just yeah it was probably a month after we met um, an agency that used to kind of offer me bits and bobs of school uh, uh, freelance work um, offered me, they said they had a, a maternity leave cover position in a very prestigious uh, secondary school to teach drama, which, um, as you know, I'm not, I, by, by uh, career, I'm not a secondary school teacher, um, but I am a creative. And uh, I went along for the interview and got the job. At the same time, my business was pretty much closed because of COVID. Um, I was just doing a, a few uh, these Zoom classes and I got the job. So they wanted me to work full time. Uh, I managed to negotiate these four days. But in the other day, I'm doing my freelance work and um, now kind of also back to running showstoppers as well. So the ratio has definitely tipped um, yeah. Yeah. more recently. And I've learned a lot about what it's like to, to be working um, very much full time. At the same time, uh, my husband, who you spoke about, who's spent 20 years as um you know a surgeon working long hours in the NHS is now I think since we've spoken you'd know if he's uh, he's become a, a consultant so his hours are a bit more controlled than they've ever been so it's a yeah. bit of a flip in the balance in terms of our between us our, our workload right. how that's sitting and the home life as well um, which that's really interesting I, I, we're, we're going to get to that as well in just yeah. how you work in a partnership to do that because I think this is something that's come out a lot in some of my other blogs as well that how much depends in a marriage on the partnership to make sure mm. that each partner feels they have what they need to feel balanced and fulfilled but before we move on from the change in your working pattern mm. you talked about being self-employed and not being able, like you didn't audit your hours, you said. So it's really hard for you to pinpoint as a self-employed person, whether you're full-time or part-time. Mm. Um, do you want to just talk a bit more about that challenge? Yeah, and also the difference for me to now be working, albeit uh, it's a, you know, a temporary contract, to be working as an employee with set hours. So I go to work and I do my work and then I say goodbye to everyone and I come home that's a very different lifestyle to being self-employed where you're really kind of as a freelancer I think you'd agree you're always at work so you know if those emails are pinging through 
you know in the evening or if you're having to do your social media marketing in between doing other things like it, it is that fluid kind of you're always at work when you're a freelancer the difference between knowing that uh, you know when the lessons are finished and I go home I'm not at work um is is very very different to, to what I'm used to um there's also the aspect of being part of a department and and a team that I haven't had before um yeah. I think as a in terms of like finding a balance between work and and other things outside of work wh- how would you compare the two because I've I've come across quite a few people who have left their employed jobs so to go self-employed mm. thinking they could have more freedom and carve their time around their life better and have more control but from what you're describing there's also there are boundaries when you're employed by somebody else that is that are harder to put on yourself and and some and I don't know is that a good thing or a bad thing how do you 100%, find more I don't know if it's a good or bad thing or if it's just different um and each has their own challenges um because I suppose you do have the freedom to create your own time balance when you're a freelancer however setting the boundaries is a lot harder because you're you're in charge of your own kind of I guess income and so you want you want to do as much as you can and I think that's interestingly why at the moment my work-life balance is tipped more towards work because it in it's ingrained in me to be a freelancer so you don't say no to work ever and so when the work is being offered to you keep taking it so at the moment I've said yes to everything and and the plate is you know it's it's really really full um but because I maybe that comes from my year being an actress as well you always take the work (laughs) always take the work um and so whatever it is but um you know I've, I've definitely come to a point where I need to refine it perhaps and and make some decisions moving forward right you were saying to me that there you had there was an impact for you on reflecting on your work to life ratio after we we spoke last time um for the blog um can you explain how it made you feel to kind of take that time and think deliberately about your work to life split yeah I think um because the this uh, job that I was talking about in the school that's uh been I suppose most people would just be doing that job and initially I was um, and then they asked me to do another round of this uh, like it's mat leave cover and of course I said yes <laughs> and so then about a month in I had this little moment of okay I need to make some decisions because I you know um, which is it that I'm going to do am I going to be continue with my freelance or am I going to um, you know, stay on as as employed, but because it's a, a mat leave cover, it does have an end date. Um, and I, yeah, I just started sort of reflecting. I think it's an age thing as well, actually, Dahlia, that kind of, um, okay, I need to make some decisions about what I, how do I want to expect my week to be as I live through it? And rather than pursuing that kind of work-life balance, that or happiness, contentment, I want to be living that um that balance living that um rather than pursuing it if that makes what, sense what do you, I, what's the difference um well see, rather than seeing it in the distance that kind of, of of um trying to get to that place whether it be yeah. happiness whether it be work-life balance contentment or i think it's switching into 
I suppose within your mind that you're you're living in it rather than surviving it in order to get to somewhere else right and so for Um, you it was taking that opportunity to advance your career and to do something that you wanted to do professionally would you say yeah um yeah I don't know if I I don't know if I took the job at the time to advance my career because it's outside really of my of my um sort of usual skill set it was um it was more well oh, actually honestly I didn't think my business would survive Covid because you know it just kept going yeah. and going and you know we'd recently renovated our house and um there's lots of bills to pay and it just seemed like a short-term solution financially as well right. um but as it turns out I do really enjoy it (laughs) Um, so I think it's more now trying to carve it I mean I think you said in in the blog originally about that sort of like life by design or designing the lifestyle just trying to work it out so you're being in it as opposed to um, aspiring to it so in that design that I described in the blog there was kind of I guess deliberate chaos then you know your son yeah. coming in and just sitting with us yeah. <laughs> while I interviewed you like so comfortable so Might have been in that he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't gonna be kicked out you know your husband coming in talking about the laundry I'm off I'm, I'll be back at this time you know there were multiple things happening in that space yeah and and I, I probably live quite a similar pace and you know kind of flurry of information but sitting there as an observer it it occurred to me like there is so much information swimming around your where you were sat at that kitchen table in front Mm. of me there were at least 10 bits of information that were thrown at you in that time (laughs) um but that was by design that you wanted to be there you wanted to have this busy vibe of a home life but I suppose the question is, how do you choose your priorities when there are all those demands hitting at your head <laughs> um, and and taking on work commitments as well? Good question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think sometimes I tend, sometimes it's a bit like taking all of the things, trying to prioritise everything and then occasionally it all fails and sometimes it all works out. Um, the interesting thing is in being in a teaching role is that I can't have my phone when I'm teaching classes in a school environment whereas when I'm freelance I'm multitasking like you said that's all going on and the the you know my home is my work and the kids interrupt and everything goes on and and that was a new challenge to sort of think um you know the kids are half day on a Friday I'm still teaching for the rest of the day so my phone might be buzzing in my bag oh goodness do they need to know how to get the bus to wherever but I've had to let go of some of it you know um because I'm teaching so I can't answer the phone <laughs> yeah and and everything else stays standing yeah it, they seem to have survived <laughs> <laughs> and then we were also we you know coming into a new um kind of stage of life oh, I suppose it's turning all of the time but um, they're older and, and um, you know, teenagers, so it's more self-sufficient. And if they, mm. you know, there has been times when perhaps there's no food in the fridge and then later on on the camera, I see the uh, the subway delivery, <laughs> the, the Uber <laughs> Eats. So they'll never starve. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they I, figure I it out. So. 
yeah I'm sort of entering that phase my kids are that much younger than yours but I I'm observing that the although the demands are a bit less physical like you're you know you're not you don't need to tie the shoelaces and and do all of those sorts of things the 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 mental load doesn't feel any less for me like I think as the kids get older your head still needs to be kind of engaged in their schoolwork and their social lives and I don't know less in the kind of the sustenance you're right but more in the emotional so you still need to allow some space for that so where how do you manage that alongside these other demands that are that are hitting you yeah that's interesting you just made me think I was listening to um another podcast I was listening to a podcast and there was someone talking about this kind of when the children are little and you're doing that balancing act thing you know like that image of that woman with all the plates and the balls and one on your foot and a baby on your hip and kind of juggling it all I think in our minds we we pictured the future when we're at this kind of midlife Uh, the children are, are growing older and we're kind of perhaps reducing our workload and meeting up with friends for lunch and being able to go off on holidays without the children this is kind of in our minds and then we get to this point and actually perhaps we're reaching a a, a, you know I don't want to assume but perhaps perimenopausal menopausal point in our lives as women we've got a completely different mental load in terms of managing the hormones and growth of our teenage children and we've probably also got aging parents to deal with as well so it's a whole new kind of section of life isn't it that um midlife that we uh you know I I definitely had visions of ladies what lunch (laughs) (laughs) champagne bottomless brunches well was that before or after you accepted this you know pretty much full-time contract (laughs) (laughs) or touche um, I, I quoted Catelyn Moran in, in the blog intro that I wrote about you as well. And I think that's what you're reminding me of is her book, um, More Than a Woman. More Than a Woman. And she describes that exactly, that actually it's women that, that do have, that are kind of at that age where you're you're worrying about the lives of the people around you as much as your own, that the, the juggle is just, mm. it, it just gets bigger and, and more, I don't know, I guess the stakes are higher. The responsibility yes. is higher. Um, More grown up. Yeah. And the the last person I interviewed for my blog was somebody who gave up their career in order to be a stay-at-home mum. And her view was just to reduce the level of responsibility that she took on um, in order to focus on, on the needs of her family. Mm. And even if that meant the sacrifice was that she didn't earn a, a salary and they relied on her husband's salary... Um, you know, she was in a position to be able to do that. But for you, you've you've said that you wouldn't consider giving up your career and you did it for a year when you were traveling, but you know, you wouldn't long term want to set your career aside. Why why do you think that is? Like what's the difference there for you? Yeah, I listened to that and, and I was thinking about that before, about that kind of and, and she she also did mention how they saved a lot of money on childcare and help in the home. So that balance was there and her the amount of work that she would have done with in terms of running the home the CEO of the household you know the the shopping the laundry there's just an endless list of things to do so her workload was just differently spread um and it was quite interesting for me listening to that because yeah I no I don't think I'd ever give up work because 
and, and also what one of your other um, podcasts that I listened to was talking about the fluidity between what is work and what is life what counts under work and what counts under life because when I'm teaching or certainly when I'm directing a show I'm living that's you know that's my art that's my creative outlet um so which part counts as work and which part counts as life because often I volunteer to direct shows for you know charities that's not that's that wasn't an advertisement <laughs> but, <laughs> um and so yeah that that is my creativity and a joy for me certain yeah. aspects of my work um, yeah well I see it when you you bring that to our kids school and that's it's mm. amazing like it, it adds so much to to the kids lives I think like the the talent contest that you run or the end of your shows that you get involved in it really makes a difference so you're right it's not if that's not a paid part of your job it's still I don't know they use yeah it's your life isn't it so Mm. which is why you know I've I've always said you know hands up like I totally agree work-life balance is a flawed expression you can't neatly cut these things up into boxes and you know section all of this up but no but I think that's what we're exploring though and also at my work place where I'm employed there is um they are, and obviously as a self-employed person I wouldn't be able to do this but there's a I mean it's a lovely um establishment uh, and it has a gym and a and a swimming pool and they and a well-being garden and many of the staff don't use the facilities that are offered to us at certain times because they're very very busy and I can't I make sure that I timetable those in to my day I use the swimming pool I go to the well-being garden and I think I function better at work for using those things. And when I'm there, I'm so enjoying them. And then I come back into, you know, perhaps teaching in the afternoon and I'm definitely more alive. But if I tried to just, I think people have guilt if they think if they take a break in the middle of the day to go swimming, then they've somehow failed at working very hard, you know? Yeah. Um, There's something there in, in giving yourself permission to do that. And I, and this is, I think the, the podcast you're referring to was my interview with Solly, who was a real advocate for just allowing yourself that yes. mission to, to take that time out just because things are busy or people around you are busy or suffering or need help doesn't mean you're doing any service to them by withholding yourself from doing those things that you enjoy or that are going to bring you some sense of balance. And I, I think, that, mm. you know, coming back to this point of like work-life balance as a flawed expression, I think, you know, life balance is an alternative way of saying it or work-life blend or however you want to package it mm, up. Mm. But the one thing I keep coming back to in this blogging project of mine is that work has a different sense of importance to people. There's so much else is is all kind of included in your sense of worth around your work and your purpose and who you are um that it it's sort of I don't think you can just dissolve it into the life umbrella term and that's kind of what I'm trying to get to through this blog or through this podcast is just to understand people's values around their work and why it's so important and therefore how does it influence the priorities that they set so for you clearly your work is really important and somehow like where do you find where do you draw those lines with your priorities with Mm. everything else happening in your life 
It's very hard to say. I'm not sure that there's even a correct answer. It's just about keeping exploring it and finding what works and what doesn't work. Going back to your point about, um, uh, you know, every all the different people finding that um, kind of different work-life balance. I wonder if it's, uh, I was just wondering as you were speaking then, if it's to do with the individual and their perception as well. So if you, you know, um, took all of your, uh, you know, as a, as a science experiment, took all of your, um, the, the people that you've interviewed on, on your blog or on the podcast and switched us all around in our different, you know, into our different lives and work-life balance, whether it would be the individual's outlook on the situation or if it's the situation itself gosh I know that got really uh, philosophical then but I, you know I was just wondering about it then if it is to do with how your outlook on the situation as opposed to the situation itself so how you balance yeah. it and someone once someone said to me recently uh, you know because I said someone described me as being really enthusiastic um and I felt like they said enthusiastic because they they couldn't think of anything else to say <laughs> you know and they meant it as a compliment um but I know uh, someone said to me that you know it's if you're not such a positive person naturally people who are incessantly positive can be really annoying and I, I do tend to err on the positive side and be you know oh gosh look at that sunset is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and the birds are singing and and I do understand that to someone else that is really <laughs> annoying um and maybe that's how I find my balance in looking at you know that's how my sort of survival technique maybe yeah of how to find the balance um and so then the sa same person may have like a negative outlook on my if they were to switch into my work-life balance situation yeah oh absolutely you know, they may see it in a negative way that it's just you know constant interruption and like you said and yeah. lots of information incoming and outgoing all of the time and um so perhaps it's just to do with outlook and also I think that people culturally perhaps um in our um I want to say demographic and perhaps age group we care a lot about what other people think of our work-life balance um so you know are, are, do we need to look like we're working really hard all of the time in order for people to think that we're good at what we do <laughs> and so if we're seen to be you know on a sun lounger with a gin and tonic is that you know when we're supposed to be a busy work person is that a negative thing or you know yeah or, or the other way around like you know showing off that you've got it so good that you can sit on a lounger and without feeling that sense of guilt yes yeah a hundred percent yeah so there definitely there is that sort of and perhaps that social media as well that's meant yeah. that we're constantly thinking about what people think of us um yeah yeah and that's another thing that I've tried to get to with this blog of just just putting across that perspective that everybody is individual so there's no there's no value in comparing yourself um, or, you know, casting judgment on yourself or on other people because you do construct your work-life balance according to your individual circumstance. Yeah. Um, it's actually something I wanted to ask you about because you talked about your really early expectations in your life about wanting to be a mum and that you see your daughter emulating that as well. Um, so not everybody feels that that maternal drive and just curious to see where you think those ideas come from and do you think 
do you think those are well no let's stop there where do you think those ideas come from for you I think by example and interestingly I, I talked about my daughter um last time uh and as you know in our family at the moment we have three new new babies three so we've got baby boom not in my not in my family unit but in my siblings and my eldest son who's 15 is obsessed with all of the babies he's always been amazing with children but he is you know when I say obsessed that sounds a bit extreme but he adores them and there's not a photo of when we're all together where he's not got one of them in his arms and he's also recently taking up taken up uh babysitting and he's got um this well he works for me on a Saturday morning helping with the under fives uh drama class so you know you could say he's I want to say paternal maternal paternal I think is the right one um you know he's showing all of this and I I remember when he was little I once asked him what he wanted to be when he was older and he said a daddy so that makes me think that perhaps perhaps it does come from example I do come you know our um I know I I spoke to you before about my my upbringing that I was in a uh you know my mum wasn't a stay-at-home mum she was always she my mum and dad have got a family business so we were always in and out of the shop and it was very fluid when it was work, when it was home, because we spent a lot of time in the shop as children, um, which was obviously their workplace. So maybe it comes from example. And that was always a happy place for me growing up, being in the shop, running around the warehouses, going with my going with my dad to um, the wholesaler, you know, and getting to pick out um, a pair of trainers at the wholesaler that he could put on his kind of, you know, shop bill or whatever. So this um, Petticoat Lane, going to when he used to go buying in the East End. So they're all really happy memories for me. So perhaps it comes from, you know, um, the example that was been set before me that was an appealing option for me. Do you think um, the next generation then are going to have a different set of values to think about particularly men because at mm. the moment the for all the feedback I get from the blogs I've written generally speaking it's women that are that have to make the choice between their families and and their careers um, and lots of people comment you know why aren't the men worrying about these things or and, and some men come get in touch with me as well to to describe that they are but it's it's more the exception than the rule mm. do you think in the future our boys will think about how to manage their families within their careers and make sacrifices the same way that well I don't know if I would describe it being a sacrifice for a woman to accommodate their family into their career but it's certainly a consideration more on the female side than on the male do you think that will change I think so I think people are so much more open to conversation now and there's kind of no right or wrong and I think you know, talking about my situation, if my husband's career was very vocational, there was no kind of just, you know, by you could say by coincidence, but his particular, obviously he's the breadwinner, but also there's no option, uh, as you know, in the NHS to kind of, um, to find more of a balance. Whereas my career lends itself more to having the options to be more of a stay at home mum and be more in control of the home and also I have a joy for it. But so that was the natural path in our family uh, and how the kind of unit worked. Whereas I suppose it would depend what career paths they choose. 
Um, interestingly, my daughter is talking about wanting to be a chef, and I was, and and the first thing I thought was, gosh, the 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 time commitment of that would be hard to find a balance with a family. That was that did go through my mind when she's saying that that's kind of the career path that she's looking at in the future. Right. Um, so I think it also depends on what your job requires of you. Um, and yeah. if, if and it I, does give you the options. I think it does come down to the partnership as well, though, because there are plenty yeah. of working parents in the NHS or in, you know, in, in medical fields. Right. Just the same as if I was the surgeon in the partnership. Or- yeah sorry or the, yeah you, or you train part-time and and have to like spread the the training over the course of you know double the number of years that you would otherwise if you were full-time but I think right. it but that, does... that's a so that's relatively new in the mm. in terms of like the timeline I suppose that wouldn't have I don't know if that would have been an option for uh for my husband at the time or maybe we didn't explore it because yeah um, I, d- I don't know if it would have been an option but I certainly think that now moving forward into the next generation or actually somebody I know um is currently halfway through she's her her partner and her have taken half maternity paternity each um so and her example is actually new to me I haven't seen this before in someone that I know where instead of just one partner taking the full maternity leave they've split it half and half and that their their work places were able to offer that um and the challenge for them has been that although they've split the maternity paternity leave I think it's four months each but I'm not exactly sure of the timings of it she's still breastfeeding so having to balance that for her and I'm, I'm you know I'm seeing it play out that she's still having to so she's um he's at home and she's at work, but she's having to manage pumping her milk and organising the right. all of the feeds. So it, there's always just going to be challenges, I think, however yeah. you structure it. It's, yeah. And, and, you know, now I'm working more um, and my husband's uh, hours are a bit more organised. I don't want to say less because that may... <laughs> Yeah, but I'm going to say yes. Um, <laughs> you know, he's taken yeah, over some of the household responsibilities more recently, right. um, and that's yeah. just based on. And like you said, it's the partnership. It was the discussion of, you know, where can we fit these into these pockets of time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think people. I think in I mean, back to the NHS, and this is totally not you know my area of expertise, but I, I know of of women particularly who have um trained on a part-time basis rather than full-time and just spread it out over the course of a longer time but you you still need to have a pretty good network in your yeah. life to to run a family home and and work in a place like that or but probably the same for a chef you're right there are loads of <laughs> loads of industries where it's really really hard to to balance those hours with mm. being home and I suppose without a partner to to help with that or to kind of create some sort of agreement between you I I don't know how people would manage that really yeah I think it's so individual isn't it it depends what your chosen career is it depends on the individual and how how much or how little they want to do there's just so many would you say to your daughter who wants to be a chef would you put the idea in her head that actually how would you you know how would you have a family 
if you were a chef? I think, I think the thought came that? into my head and initially I stopped myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, the seed is certainly there in my mind, perhaps as a little yeah. bit traditionalist. Um, but, and it would depend who her, who her partner is and, you know, what their yeah. career is. You know. And would you think the same if it was your son that wanted to be the chef? I don't know. That's a very good question. Of course I should. <laughs> but I don't know if it would naturally... Well, I'm a woman, so I suppose I'm straight away thinking of it from a woman's perspective. Um, I, I suppose I would think, oh, you know, especially being married to someone who often comes home very late after the children have gone to bed, I think I would think that... Um, imagining them not being able to put the kids to bed and you know when even when I was a stay-at-home mum I did feel that that was what I missed out on having a husband that worked very long hours was the having someone who comes home at six o'clock and takes over on bedtime yeah that's the dream <laughs> the dream <laughs> um that's a so like a, keeping on the theme of your husband um who I know and who is yes, a lovely man I quite like him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he in in when I interviewed him with the blog you you mentioned a time where you wavered a little bit of your value in the, not bringing in as much money into the home as he yeah. did and you said that it was him that validated your contribution by saying you know the value that you have in being at home is is just as big if not more as my financial contribution and mm -hmm. I think having a partner that is there validating your worth even if it's not in monetary terms must make a massive difference and there are people yeah. that I've interviewed who don't either don't have a partner or whose partner doesn't express that sort of um I don't know the the an understanding of the value of that mm. contribution um and that's where the guilt seems to play out more yeah I think that comes from, well, I would always say that he's, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, um, I don't know how to put it, but the, the, um, the best thing in my life, <laughs> you know, and we, we do, I, our partnership is probably what makes it all work because uh, we do have always supported each other and the fact that he, you know commun uh, communicating and the fact that he communicated that to me like you said meant that it it works and I suppose I, I'm hesitating because I think I'm thinking not not everybody has that kind of um partnership with somebody but at the same time people have all different things that is their thing that means that they can be the best they can be and for me in my life it was uh, we met very young but you know having that um that partnership with him and us just working together really well <laughs> and what advice do you think you could give to women who are starting out whether in marriage or just starting out having a family um what advice would you give them and how you can be deliberate about constructing that balance between you as a partnership I think it, it comes from communication and talking I mean I I, I think you know um Simon and I have recently taken up walking um like long distance walking maybe it came it came out I suppose out of lockdown and what we found is it the walks we do are very long so they take a good few hours and in that time we talk and talk and talk and we say it's our time to kind of put the world to rights plan our you know planet takeover whatever you know talk about the kids 
um, and it's communication, communication, communication. And when the children were young, also we we do have that really good support, you know, um, wider support unit in terms of like um, siblings and grandparents. And we used to take time out quite a bit um, to either go out for the day without the children or um, so when if um, we go away for a, you know a mini break or weekends away and those times would be when we would you know um, communicate with each other and make our plans and our goals whether that was conscious or not conscious at the time I can't really remember it wasn't like we must go away we must uh, you know diarize two days where we discuss our goals for the next five to ten years it wasn't like that but it's quite natural to plan ahead and I think communication between you is is everything whether that's feelings or um or goals or mutual goals that you make together or your individual kind of desires in terms of like your career or what you want for the children I think it is all comes from communication yeah and I think um, and also if you can put a buggy up in a car park having not <laughs> slept for three weeks without having a row I think that's a really good start <laughs> I think it, this reminds me of what um, Solly said also in her podcast interview about scheduling those times and, and being deliberate about it because those yeah. conversations aren't going to happen, you know, while you're running out the front door. There's just not, there's not the space there to have no. those in-depth conversations. So actually carving out the time to do things together and to have those conversations is really helpful. And then both of you know, what each of you want out of your life or out of the next few years in your career and just making time to have those conversations and being deliberate about it rather than coasting into it seems to be yeah. a really effective approach. Yeah. And and I think perhaps in our case it was it was sort of sem sort of semi deliberate in that it was um we, we knew that we wanted time out together. We didn't necessarily plan that that was the time that we we're going to be communicating, but that's what was happening. Um, and now, you know, we, we reflect on it and we know that we need those times um, and that's how we use them um, so that we can. Um, <laughs> last week, we just said so we can just talk about how everyone else is a moron except for us. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to vent. <laughs> listening to a fine balance with me Dahlia Wittenberg. My guest this episode is Sarah McMull, drama teacher and founder of the performing arts school Showstoppers. When Sarah featured on a fine balance the blog back in October 2020 she touched on the mental load that she carries as a wife, mother of three, business owner and homekeeper. She described it as a double-edged sword. On the one hand being a mum and having a quote homely vibe was the stuff of her dreams and so was being a professional and a creative. But this results in her bearing a lot of responsibility for others and a head crammed full of important information. I was curious to explore with Sarah what this feels like, how she manages it, and how it impacts on her sense of balance. Let's talk about mental load because this is mm. something that uh, we focused on quite a lot in your interview. Um, Tell me, what can you describe what is a mental load for a working mother of three? Oh, it's exactly, well, <laughs> I think the best way to describe it is that kind of image uh, of, you know, all those little thought bubbles coming out of your mind. And if you could draw like a comic book, uh, a comic book sketch of, of uh, 
my head and then kind of all those little cloud bubbles coming out of it saying, oh, I've left the washing in the washing machine for too long. So-and-so's got a club at six. Did I read the school report? Have I, um, have we got anything for dinner tonight? Have we run out of milk as well as um, I need to get those reports finished for work? I need to make sure that I've advertised the auditions. Have I done enough social media marketing? What is just list, list, list. And much like the laundry basket, you never see the bottom of it. <laughs> so what, what do you, how do you find your balance with all that noise around you? Uh, lists, write, writing it down. And uh, I think lists, I think lists is the answer. Lists is the answer, lists, okay. Talking about it. We've got a really cool app that we share that's lists, but you can have joint lists. Okay. And so when you're checking it off, the other person can see that you've checked it off on the list. And also you can assign tasks to the other person. I love okay. that aspect of this app. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so, so just I, being organised. So you've just got your techniques for organising all these multiple things floating around. Yes, yes definitely. Uh, I'm still on a paper diary because I'm a bit old fashioned like that. But, um, you know, and the... It, I think it's just making sure that all of that, you know, you want to say, okay, I'm really organized and I'm on top of everything because I make lists about everything I do. I meal plan, but in reality, <laughs> that's not. You still have to read those lists. <laughs> exactly. And I've got a list of lists. Um, <laughs> I have a list of what my lists are. That's insane. And some of my lists are written lists um, and there's post-its all over the place and and like you said, you know, in the original blog, it is a mishmash and it is chaotic. But I think it's just kind of, I don't know if there is a formula for how to manage. It's just we're sort of living through it. And when it's working, it's working. And then sometimes it just all crashes down and, you know, have a bit of a cry and uh, <laughs> and, and decide what, what wasn't working. Um, and kind of move forward but I, I don't know if there's a I, I think um when I was talking about before saying um oh I'm you know talking on a podcast about work-life balance and I was thinking you know and I don't really think I'm the person even like I said if I have this story if I'm the person to talk about work-life balance um because it's just well like I said before I think it's just living through it and when it's working it's working and and when it's not it's not but lists and I think it's kind of like um, a dial of a clock in my mind. I'm going around of the kids' work, the food, the house. It kind of ticks around and then it cycles back around again. Um, but I'm not one to have, you know, on a personal note, I'm not one to have kind of uh, timetables for for laundry or allocating. I mean, for sure, when I'm a bit more organised, and things do definitely work better. Some weeks I write down, it's very scribbled, but a Monday to Friday bit of a meal plan and knowing what we're going to eat definitely helps but I yeah. can't sit here and say to you I do every week I write out all what we're going to eat and then I plan the grocery list and everything runs like clockwork because that's not the reality um, I think but it, I it, coming back to like the the individual approach though for you when you when we talked before you seemed happy with that that level of activity <laughs> I held myself back yeah. from chaos there but for you that was that is your balance like it was kind of your dream come true is to have this busy home life 
for other people 100%. that would be too much and you know as I described the last person the blog I wrote about the stay-at-home mum she wanted to remove that the work bit from the equation because it was too much and she didn't feel balanced and she didn't feel she was able to give her children enough of her attention or whatever it is the the work ambition wasn't high enough of a priority to add it into the mix whereas for you it, it you wanted you want all of that like that is your dream if you like that mental low dream what, yeah, what do you think it is yeah Tell and me I more thought there that. were times when I thought I would like to take you know, there have been multiple times, actually, where I've thought, do you know what, I could take the work out of the equation, you know, I, I, we could work it out that I could, we could survive, and I could be a stay at home mum. And even periods of time, like when we we're in Australia, where I was a stay at home mum, but it then, and I do enjoy it for a limited period, but then I find that that, that little itch comes back in, and I need my creative um, outlet, I suppose. And, and I, I, yeah, just it's something that I really enjoy to do. That said, I can keep myself very, very busy in the home, whether it's um, on all of the housework and, you know, CEO of the household, um, or whether it's on gardening and craft activities, which I always joke that I can't wait for retirement because <laughs> I'll be so busy in my retirement with my long list of things that I love to do. <laughs> right um, okay that kind of contradicts what you're saying there about living the moment <laughs> I know it's, it's, that's true that's true and I but I but have, you can't do it now you can't fit all those things in now and you you've got these other demands I guess no, you have to be realistic and also I'm so aware that especially with teenage children that the time with them is so limited yeah um yeah you know I remember when I was um doing the night feeds with my third and I actually enjoyed the night feeds with my third uh, more than with the other two. And I do think that that was that in the knowledge that it was the last one. <laughs> I loved those quiet night times, just me and the baby and that sort of privilege of it. And of course, you're exhausted and get being constantly woken up. But I did find it a really special time and I really valued it in my third child. And I think that's similar to the fact that they're teenagers now and we're coming to the end of this kind of time period that they'll you know soon be going off to university or whatever they you know choose to do and so I I know that I've got lots of lots of gardening in my future I can't wait <laughs> but in the you know I I, I, I need I, I want to use the time with with them at the moment where there is time not there's much of it I think just what I'm taking from you what you're what you're saying on, on the mental load front is just I guess just own it that if you want that busy mm. life you want to have the career because that does fulfill you but you also want that busy home life then some things are going to have to slip by the wayside and if that is you know a very clear meal planner or you know laundry day or however you organize yourself I guess it's just being accepting of those the reality and the imperfection you presumably mm. if you go walking with your husband in an afternoon the housework is just going to have to sit so you're taking mm -hmm. a, you're making a choice there what do I value more time with him and outdoor exercise over having a really nice and tidy house <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think um, when I interviewed Michelle in the podcast about stay-at-home mums she 
valued having that quiet house which like she'd done all her ironing in the morning so then she was free in the afternoon to do whatever and actually if you've got a career unless you've got a housekeeper that will do that for you that's just an impossible scenario you just you couldn't physically do that there are not enough hours in the day so you're you're making a choice there aren't you yeah and like you said cycling right back to how you started that with own it because that's okay too and you know if it depends just is a choice of how you structure your day and you know own it if you know that you want to be out working in the daytime and you um you outsource your ironing to an ironing company or you've got a massive pile of ironing whichever one it is you know own it as your reality and that that's your choices I think in fact I think that perhaps is a is a good outlook on everything it's that sort of owning it and that in that insta versus reality um thing of like you said that there's if we're out on a walk or perhaps we take a selfie it's a beautiful sunny day but you know the reality is like you said there's a big there's I haven't I haven't changed the beds this weekend or the towels all need washing or whatever it is that's piling up there's always going to be something yeah and and again I think that's what I try to do through this blog is just to hear people's perspectives because different things mm. matter to different people and the the kind of the bottom line is that's okay <laughs> like yeah. whatever floats your boat as long as you're being deliberate about it and accepting of it and happy with that then that should be enough but if you're not happy with that like if you were to say actually it's so hectic I really would prefer to you know work fewer hours or you know or I don't know whatever something that you would yeah. opposite to what you have then then okay then then again own it I suppose if you can it's not easy it's, for everybody but I think that's I guess the key being, because and, and also then it it can't be that there is one right or wrong answer to all of this because if there was we would all be the same and we're not all the same we all have different likes and dislikes and I like to be busy and I do I think I perhaps you know thrive on the just about coping level is perhaps where I perform at my best and where I'm, I feel the most challenged and maybe the most fulfilled, but the next person's might be where they're, you know, completely different to that. But that's because we're all so different and we have different things that excite us. You know, I want, I said to someone recently how when I, <laughs> I'm laughing at myself, when I hit, when I hear the overture of a musical, like when I'm in the theatre and I hear the overture of a musical, I cry every single time. Now, I'm sure that there's a very few percentage of people (laughs) that cry when they hear the (laughs) overture in the theatre, but it's because it creates some kind of emotional response in me personally, because that's the thing that, you know, that I love. Um, But then for the next person, you know, I know you love running. (laughs) Now... I can I can hand on my heart say that if I put on a pair of trainers right now and went out for a run and it is a beautiful day outside, I would not be um, responding in a joyous way, <laughs> in a joyous way to that. But that's because everybody has things that, you know, some people dislike reading, but, you know, love, li- love listening to classical music or I, uh, you know, there's just so many different things that people like and that's why there can't be one answer to what the right balance is because we're all so individual and different and that's the positive of it really 
we're nearly out of time. Um, but I don't want to finish this podcast without talking to you about the, the G word, <laughs> the guilt, because uh. you, you focused on this a lot. Um, mm. And it, it really often, co- it does come up very often in my blogging and in the podcasting as well. And I kind of felt when I scratched the surface of your descriptions of how guilty you felt that, that actually you didn't feel that guilty because mm. you did concede that you do think you're a good mum. And you did kind of, when it comes to it, you weren't going to really change anything based on that guilt. Mm. So, um, you know, why do you think women feel that guilt? Or can you describe what that guilt feels? And I'm trying to think, how could this be helpful to people that listen, that constantly do feel guilty about the choices that they're making between work and life? Mm. I'm just thinking, how genuine is that? Like, how deep-rooted is that guilt? Uh, Perhaps we need... um... A, a, a larger spectrum of words within the guilt range you know to describe the different levels of guilt um because and, and I think it comes back to when I was talking about this uh this place where I'm working at the moment going and taking that time perhaps in a lunch break to go swimming and uh perhaps it's to do with how you think that you should be doing something else that's it's the should word that associates to guilt I think I should be catching up on my marking or I should be texting out for play dates for my youngest to make sure that she's, uh, you know, got a good uh, social calendar. I should be doing something else right now. That's uh, perhaps. So when you're doing something that is perceived as free time, that's when your brain tells you that perhaps you should be doing something else. Maybe that's a, but then, but then, if you don't act on that, what's the value of of sort of occupying your mind with thoughts about that? That you should be doing this or something else? No, it's not. And I do think that even since we've spoken, perhaps I've I've learned a lot more about what, when am I choosing to feel guilty? Um, and not, sorry, not so much when I'm choosing to feel guilty. When am I choosing to spend the time on uh, things that I want to spend them on, and it's justified. Um, and perhaps my, shifting my perception of what justified means. And so, you know, justifying that taking time for myself means that I'll be a better mum when I come out on the other side of that okay. time for myself, for example, if that's the justification, rather than justifying that I'm going to have a massage, for example, by having a really painful back and being completely exhausted and on the floor, you know, that's a different level of justification to taking the time out for yourself. Um, so perhaps it's just to do with your perception of it. Um, but the value of guilt is, well, zero, isn't it, really? I haven't seen any evidence that it enhances anybody's life, feeling that guilty. Uh, unless, you, unless it prompts you to change something, mm. then it just feels like it's energy expended... Like without you know yeah there's um, other related other related negative feelings that are the same I suppose like for myself I know that I've spent many way too many thought hours on how I look you know or worrying about how other people think I look you know that it's, it's not necessarily things that are spoken out loud but they're in my in in my head and that's a sort of associated with guilt that um that sort of negative uh, feelings that are, have absolutely no value at all. 
Um, the same as beating yourself up about feeling guilty about things that you should be doing. Um, but then perhaps talking about it like this helps us to understand that. It makes me think of, um, it's sort of like you spend your energy, don't you? I remember I read, I think it was Robert Kiyosaki, uh, who uh, he wrote about when you're managing your finances. And just like, I, I think with our money and with energy, and I suppose with calories, <laughs> we have a sort of amount that we want to spend. And he wrote about, you know, we all think when we're saving money, to see how much we've got at the end of the month so you have your bills you pay off your credit a bit of your debt and you have your spending money and then you put money aside for um for your savings but ultimately you never end up with that money for the savings because you live to your means and his kind of suggestion on that was to take your savings out first so you take your savings out you set them aside and then you pay your bills and, you know, then it's what you have left for your spending money or whatever it is you're spending your money on. And and so ultimately, you'll be much more successful in saving money. And I think, I don't know, that's just a really good way of looking at your energy as well. If you take that time for that, you know, like I said before about that, take that lunch time to go swimming or for, the, for a, a walk outside or whatever it is that you feel guilty about doing perhaps ultimately at the end you're more successful in in the sort of savings in your in yourself uh so it's almost like an investment an investment in yourself yeah I agree yeah an investment in yourself but taking the priority for that first and you know it's easy to say this but of course um that's a, an aspiration <laughs> um but ultimately uh, perhaps that helps thinking about it that way in in justifying those guilty feelings of should I, should I be taking this time for myself? Should I be popping into the nail bar for half an hour when I should be doing something else? Because yes, yeah. I, need to, I need to put that into my savings pot at the beginning of the month, you know, in order to yeah. have something of a product at the end, something good at the end. Yeah, it, it reminds me of what Solly Lazarus said when he at the the very first podcast I recorded she she said you can't pour from an empty cup mm, I remember that. she was she was talking from the perspective of a, a mother of a child with 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 um with additional needs and yeah and I think but I don't think you need to be in in such a severe situation to have to be able to do that even yeah. just to cope with your day-to-day -day job and running a home finding that time for yourself to invest in it identifying what it is that will bring you joy or bring you some sense of balance and relaxation and then doing it putting that in the bank um mm. actually <laughs> to keep with yeah, your money metaphor it does, here. <laughs> it does. I, I think it's a great metaphor I really do um I definitely think I don't know perhaps it's a mid-40s thing but I, I'm starting to learn more with age about how I want to feel about things I do think that's something that I if you were to to have this discussion with me 10 years ago how different my outlook was about guilt about uh, mother's guilt about um you know uh those all those negative feelings i do think as we as we just learn as we get older about what how we want to sort of i said was going to say spend our time but i think spend our minds you know yeah. thinking yeah. what am i using my thoughts up on yeah 
in in the podcast in the blog sorry that I wrote about the stay-at-home mum the one of the quotes was sort of you know working mothers should feel guilty if they're feeling guilty then they should because they're what they're not doing for their children while they're doing for their careers is harmful um and I suppose that kind of comes back when I'm thinking about what you're saying it comes down to that kind of well own it actually Mm. you know it's important for me to work today and if therefore I feel guilty because I'm not making a home-cooked meal for my children when I know they would eat better if I did actually why waste energy feeling guilty for that because you've made your choice you've chosen to work those hours for a reason so own it and then you might not feel might not need to and there's different levels of it as well Dalia I think what you described is kind of a genuine feeling and then there's also I've noticed people who sort of constantly beat them are constantly talking about how they haven't got time to do anything or they haven't got time or they've got this sort of slight working parent guilt perhaps and they say well you're lucky you can do this or you know that but actually if they just I say they you know like you know if people just took a moment to perhaps readjust a few of their own things then it might just sit better for them rather than you know I think it depends on your individual personality if you're someone who's willing to make a change they've got people so it comes under a really wide umbrella because you've got the people that genuinely feeling guilty like you said perhaps they're the ones that need to just own the guilt and then you've got the people that perhaps are just talking about all the things they feel guilty about but could make some changes and not have to feel guilty anymore you know, it just might just be just change a little bit in your timetable or um, or take that time out. At, at, I'll use the example of the swimming pool, but, you know, take that time out to um, go in the swimming pool and you'll feel better and less likely to feel guilty in a kind of yeah. flip, you know, in a flip yeah. of emotions. So I think it depends on the individual as well um, of how they're perceiving it themselves. I do think perhaps the language is limited in the word guilt that we need different we need a more a broader spectrum of the word guilt yeah I I think that's a it's a really helpful perspective Sarah I think especially like you say you know 10 years ago you weren't thinking like this but 10 Mm. years ago was when you probably needed to be thinking like this more right you were you know doing the night feeds and and running around the nursery runs and all of that stuff Mm. and actually maybe there would be younger mums listening think actually if I can be deliberate and mindful about those feelings of guilt and really understand where they're coming from and how genuine and deep rooted they are, then either I can do something about it or I can be more accepting of myself and just get on with living the life that I've chosen for myself if I can't change it. And maybe those feelings of guilt for some people, like, like you said, some people may see like I know that I how long we've been speaking say for an hour my phone has been pinging like mad it may be that some chaos has broken loose downstairs I don't know you know it's all kind of starting to pile up and I've got a bit of guilt that I've taken this time right now but perhaps it's how you kind of I don't know justify it I suppose or how you perceive it that you know um it, it those things will have to wait. And now that I'm, I might have got a bit, got myself in a bit of a fluster about it when I was younger, but now I just think, okay, the messages can wait. I'm talking, yeah. I'm talking to Dahlia right now. <laughs> I think it's also the value that you put to things, which kind of comes back to the beginning of our conversation, really. It's just how much you value it. Cause I'm in the same situation. There's, you know, 
we're, we're talking on a Sunday afternoon. There's a million mm. things happening in my house as well. And mm. I just hidden myself away. And I've chosen deliberately to do that because there is a value of doing this. You know, if you, um, I don't know, uh, eke that point out a little more and say, but actually in the longer term, what is the example I want to give to my children that I'm taking time out to do something really of value and if they, you know, couldn't reach the Kit Kat or whatever, you know, and you feel horrible about it because you took that time out. But what were you taking that time out for? And is it something that you want to show them that in the longer, longer term, you've you you timetabled appropriate things into your time? And I don't think it perhaps that even does them the greatest of justice to show them that you are indisposable to them all the, all of the time. And also, like, what does it mean in this day and age to be a stay-at-home mum compared to... I was just thinking about in the 80s, you know, when, when I was growing up, that we everyone always says, you know, we were outside all of the time or, you know, we weren't on all these screens. I was I was watching Blossom and, and, and you know, a lot of, te- a lot of 80s television. Right. And, you know, there was... It wasn't um, all sitting down. There was plenty of it, but there wasn't... You know, it wasn't, I wasn't sitting the, down the whole time on a, on a soul-enhancing craft activity followed yeah. by... Um, you know followed by home cooked soup or whatever yeah it's just it's just the same stuff but different now yeah I I also think you could very easily be a stay-at-home mum and and not give your kids any more of the attention than you would if you were working in that time I do think it depends how you play it because there's so many distractions particularly through your phone whether you're working or not I think you that's I think that challenge is just as kind of shared between working and non-working parents as being present yeah and there are other challenges to that like you know create if you're a stay-at-home mum how do you not make uh how do you not bring up a completely say for example entitled child because they uh they think that your someone is at their beck and call and at at every given moment perhaps having the independence a bit more that someone's not at home yeah I don't know Michelle described not that not being an impact actually when I talked to her about being stay-at-home mum I think her, her kids just felt secure yeah. Um, but I suppose you could be a working mum and still give your children that reassurance that you'll always be there for them and you would drop anything for them. Yeah, um, I always think about, um, you know, Peppa Pig. <laughs> There's an episode of Peppa Pig <laughs> that I think should be taken sense. off the television because um, Mummy Pig is sitting at her computer doing some work and Peppa, Peppa comes along with a big, massive cardboard box and says, Mummy, please can we um, make a den with this cardboard box to w- at which point mummy pig stops what she's doing and goes of course we can pepper and i think that is a terrible example of of a working parent you know of course i'll drop this very important thing that i'm doing to immediately make a cardboard den with you because you know that it gives a i think it gives a horrible example of you know it's okay if they have to wait it's okay right. to say do you know what I absolutely do want to make a den with you but I need to finish this very important work first and then put the dinner on and then we're going to do it as long as you stick to that promise right there you go Peppa Pig is perpetuating that motherhood guilt and well you know they'll be getting a letter from well. me <laughs> when oh, I, got I mean I could I could talk to you about Peppa Pig and all all things you know to do with Peppa Pig and others uh, for hours but um, I do think we need to wrap this up Um, so um, I guess I'll just end with one final question um, Mm -hmm. and that is what would you put your ideal work to life ratio as like what would you ideally like it to be and why? 
Mm. I, I suppose it's it's got to be 50 50. Um, it's got to be 50 50 because I they're just both both so important to me. Um, I would like to, yeah, half half 50 50. I'm going bang down the middle. Does that make okay. me very beige? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's your individual choice, then that yep. would be it. I'm and sticking so... to it 50 50. Okay, and you're not just aspiring to it, you're living it. Well, currently I'm aspiring to it because um, because of this busy contract. But when it comes, to, I know that in the longer term, uh, yeah. that is working towards the 50-50. Yeah. Um, but I think I think you've got to take this and your ratios, your percentages in terms of the maths. You need to make take it over perhaps your whole career as opposed to right now. Okay. So if I were to balance it out over my entire career, 50-50. Mm but it changes throughout that time for the busy times and the quieter times. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to me. I've loved it. And I think there are so much, so many interesting tidbits in there that I hope other working moms will find interesting and, and non-working moms or just working people, male and female parents yeah. and non-parents. <laughs> I think there's just so much to, to just take from listening to different perspectives. So Thank you for sharing yours. It's been wonderful to talk to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This has been A Fine Balance, the podcast that explores work-life balance choices, one story at a time. With me, Dahlia Wittenberg. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for further episodes on your usual podcast provider. Apparently, it helps others know about us too. You can find the link to Sarah's work-life balance profile and those of the other people I've interviewed on my blog, Fine Balance, in the show notes. Or go to www.a-fine-balance.com. For updates, follow at finebalance underscore blog on Facebook or Instagram. Until next time, goodbye.